0: Hi, this is Charles Wiz, and today, with two teachers talking, where it's usually Tony Silva and I getting together to talk, the other teacher today is going to be my daughter Sophie, who is an elementary school education student at McGill University in Montreal, Canada, and... I interviewed Sophie in episode 132 in January of 2021. So this is two and a half years later. And in that episode, Sophie and I talked about her experience because, you know, transitioning from being a high school international student to going off to university. But also Sophie was starting her observation and orientation And, or not orientation, but observation and going into classrooms and watching. And now Sophie's a few years down the line, two and a half years down the line, has actually done some teaching and actually has a teaching gig coming up this summer as well at Canadian Academy. And we'll talk about that a little bit later, but um, let's get started. And uh, is that okay, Sophie? So hi. Hi. All right, Sophie, so welcome to the show again, and thank you very much for your help. And so now that you're an experienced teacher, right, Right. um, let's just start off with, you know, when you think about it, thinking back to 2021, when you started doing your observation, and tell people kind of, What's happened? Um, you've taken your classes, and we'll talk a little bit about your classes and what you've learned. But you've actually had classroom teaching experience. And I think you've had a really interesting experience when you were the resource teacher, working with the resource teacher. So why don't you tell people w- what you've been doing as, like, a teacher as part of your elementary education program?
1: Um. So... In my program, kindergarten and elementary education specifically, um, our program has a, some form of student teaching happening every year, at least before COVID was a thing. That was how it was supposed to be sometimes with all the restrictions. M- many of my friends had to do like a bunch of them back and back, back to back a lot, but Overall, um, so first years very simple. You just go into a classroom. You shadow the teacher. You see what's happening. Take notes of like what you see, what what's going on. And they slowly start making you do things as you progress through the program. And I this year I just finished my third year. I've completed my. Third stage, uh, student teaching. Yes, I am d- doing the counting properly. Yes, I am. Um, which <laughs> oh, my memory gosh, um, but which involved much more independent teaching compared to my previous stages, which mostly comprised of me just observing. I had to plan many of my lessons by myself. I had to do things by myself. I had, I was responsible for certain decisions I made, and which scared me. But I feel like I really stepped up as a teacher in a sense. And my next one, the final student teaching, will involve me taking over a single class almost completely. So as much as I do not feel like I'm prepared for that, I'm really looking forward to see what I will be able to do, what I will be able to bring to the party in a sense.
0: Okay. Well, there's so much there that, um, you know, to unpack. And you said you spent time, you observed, and you've been doing your student teaching. How long is this actually? I mean, is it a few weeks? Is it, you know, the entire semester? How much time have you actually been in classrooms teaching?
1: Um, So does that include like observations?
0: Let's skip the first observation that you talked about in 2021. So since 2021, how much time have you been in
1: I believe my second student teaching, which involved more of like an assistant role slash teaching two lessons or so, was, I believe, three weeks. And Mm -hmm. then my third one, which is the latest one I've done, took the entire semester, um, which was late August to probably first week of September till... Christmas break, winter holidays. Okay. So, yes, that's so, how long. Again, I can't.
0: Twelve, 12 weeks. About yeah, you can't I do can't. math. I still I can't. can't.
1: Yeah, so you
0: still can't. Tony's gonna to scold you oh, about no. that, probably. Oh no, we'll we'll try to edit oh, that please. part out. But so basically, a semester is like about twelve weeks. Right? You said um, end of August, so September, October, November, December. Yeah. About. So, let's just say so that's a that a that's almost fifteen sixteen weeks,
1: yep, yeah,
0: okay, and you when you were doing that, you actually had quite an interesting experience. You were assigned to that the resource, the school
1: resource teacher, yes, right? usually, what happens is you get assigned to a classroom teacher, you find out which grade your cooperating teacher, your mentor teacher basically teaches what grade, how big of a class. You usually get this information when you are about to start your student teaching. But my information didn't come with any of that. So I, w- I was like, hello, so can you tell me about your class? And that is when I found out that my um, cooperating teacher is in charge of the resource room so she works with a wide range of students instead of a single class
0: okay and just so we understand when you say that she was in charge of the resource room or you were working with a resource teacher what did that what what does that entail
1: um maybe some people are more familiar with the term special needs or s- s- Mm, special support. But um, resource room or resource room teachers usually work with a smaller group of students, sometimes one-on-one with those who may um, benefit from getting support outside of the classroom, getting some time outside from their the classroom they're placed in, outside from their peers to have some more focused time with a specialized teacher.
0: Okay, so you were really working with special needs
1: students. Um. Yes, and but at the time I also, maybe this doesn't apply to all resource teachers, but I also served as like a extra teaching assistant, so I would go around Classrooms Asking if any like non-special needs, if that's, that may not be the most accurate term, but even students who aren't signed up for resource room um, may come to me if they really need some help.
0: So if a student wasn't understanding something or they were having some kind of difficulty, like with math, yes. They didn't come to you for math, did Uh,
1: they? Some unfortunate kids did end up with (laughs) me for math.
0: All right. And this is interesting because most of your peers were assigned to a traditional classroom teacher.
1: Yes. um, All my friends I know were assigned to a traditional classroom setting.
0: Okay. And how did you feel about that? Uh, I mean... I I would think that I would have this image in my head, I'm going to go in, I'm going to be teaching in a regular classroom, and then the mysteriously absent information, and then you find out that you're not going to be going into a classroom, that you're going into this very different role. We talked a little bit about that, but um, why don't you help? The audience understand how you felt, and then how, like whether or not that changed over
1: time. Um, So first, um, my initial reaction, I think, was confusion because I did not see this coming. I it was totally not what I expected, anticipated. My big student teaching to be, Um, I forgot to mention this, but the third, this third placement is the biggest one in the entire program it's the longest student teaching so it it your placement really mattered it wasn't like oh i'll survive for 3 weeks no you were with this teacher with this school community in this set setting with these students for 15 weeks and this was not nothing close to what i anticipated so i was initially of course confused i started to get worried if i will be able to properly serve as a functioning teacher i because I, I i wasn't trained for resource room stuff um all our courses are about you know be, becoming classroom teachers so i was like How is this going to work out? Oh no, am I even going to pass this? Uh, Like, what was my school thinking when they like allowed this? All that confusion, negativity, complaints. But as I started working at the school, fortunately I was paired with an amazing teacher, with amazing school community. Everyone was very kind to me, so I was very easily able to feel welcomed. And the teachers around me made sure I was getting enough support, experience in teaching as much as all the other student teachers in the school placed in a typical classroom was getting.
0: Okay. So when you look back on it now do you feel like that was a really good opportunity or do you wish you had been able to stay more in a regular classroom or do you, you know, I mean, how do you feel about that?
1: Um. Yes, sure. There is still a side of me that wanted to get that um, typical student teaching experience where you really get, a strong bond with a specific, like, classroom. You really work with them. You really know them. You know what's going on with them. Um, you just keep progressing with them. They know you. You know them. And at the end, you know, you will have that very heartfelt moment of saying goodbye. And that was... a. Going back to my anticipation, that was what I expected from this big, long student teaching. And yes, I sure didn't get that. in a sense of that strong bond, I, I think I did not, I wasn't able to really bond as strongly with a, a certain group of students, a class, as my peers did. But at the same time I really felt like I saw I was able to see the whole entire school school body at by going around different classrooms seeing different students from different grade levels, how they worked, how diff- different these classes were working communicating with all the different teachers, working with um, very different. A wide range of students, but with within a small group. So I might have not had this typical teacher with, to a class bond, but I was able to have really meaningful interactions with certain students, which was very mean, meaningful for me.
0: And how many students were you actually working with? Uh, kind of I um, on a on a consistent basis or a repeat basis
1: I had about five students who I was assigned to meet daily work with them I would have their set of like routines certain exercises to do with them and other than that it would be my day would typically be go to certain classrooms that benefit from an extra support teacher. I would go in, and they, they would have some students who would who might want to work out in the hall because they might co- concentrate better there. What do you mean by that? Um, some students, we all have different learning preferences, and I, I guess a lot some students tend to wa- want to work in the in the hallways instead of in the classroom where there are many distractions with their friends peers the environment
0: Oh okay so you they you, would you actually move a table out of the Well there the hallway? are tables
1: out in the hallway so Okay. Yeah it, the class the school is very much prepared for those kinds of students and having support teachers taking some students out. And it's very much uh, wel- welcoming to those kinds of learners.
0: Okay. So the school was very flexible in terms of it trying to adjust and provide students and with the best possible environment for them. So if they were easily distracted by other students or what was going on in, in the classroom then you could take it would be okay to take those students out and sit down at a table with them and work one to one with them. Okay. And I remember you you mentioned I think one time we were skyping or facetiming or whatever that you were really surprised at how the teacher was interacting with the students compared to what you had been taught in the classroom about certain ways of interacting with the students.
1: I actually don't remember talking about that, um but it, it is definitely true that the theory like I've learned in the classroom, like it might have to do with my not so strong memory, but I was just, I ended up having to make decisions on the spot based on what seemed best for the student rather than going back to my theory and thinking deeply about that. It really I kind of had to toss away my academic side of myself away and really think from my in a sense human side hmm. of my emotion side of my decision-making process.
0: All right. We might want to try, if we can, try to explore that a little bit more. But I always tell my students, because uh, I get them before they do their first observations. Uh. And as I say, I say, one of the first things you're going to end up doing is realizing that theory just gets thrown out the window as soon as you get into the classroom in a lot of ways, because I'm curious, and because what I say to my students is that you will find out that so much of what you're doing is actually classroom management skill, you know, your things to keep the classroom moving that um, I think for my students, there's a real lack of um, what should I say? Coursework for lack of a better word, on classroom management. So you go in and you have all this theory, things that are like, you know, you're supposed to teach this way, you're supposed to teach that way. And you said that you really had to kind of think more on a human level. You mean on an interpersonal level. So could you give us an example of a decision like that with your bad memory?
1: Um, So this was when I was doing my, um, what was it called? My assessment. So I had, My lesson plan. I had to turn, turn in that officially written out lesson plan document. I had everything planned. I go into a classroom that was willing to collaborate with me because I wasn't set placed in a specific classroom. My support, my cooperating teacher was there. My um. advisor was there so I was totally being ready to be assessed as a teacher
0: Your advisor was from your university Yes Okay someone who's assigned to work yes. with you okay
1: to see if I'm going to pass or fail this thing and um, the classroom I in the classroom I use the smart board um are you familiar with it with a smart board? is that
0: like a the electronic whiteboard? yes so you can it's like it's like a you could put web things from the web PowerPoint stuff you can write on it
1: yes it's basically a projector with a touch pen option okay. which is in my school in the school I was placed in in many schools at least in the Montreal sc- elementary schools have been have been replacing whiteboards lately so i was writing things down on the smartboard and i just it, there seems to be some kind of error and i have no idea how to solve that this tech issue i w- couldn't lose any more time i have these fifth graders who are watching me my supervisor watching me um And I just can't deal with the tech issue right now. And the thing is, while everyone else had experience using the SmartBoard because they were in this single classroom, they're working with a class. I would take students out to the hallways working on like paper workbooks. So I barely used this technology before. And... So I was so lost, I was about to panic. And I just had to throw away all what to deal, how to deal with the classroom that time. I was like, these kids know better than me how to use this board. And so I I was like, who are the tech helpers in this classroom? Raise your hands, come help me, please. I'm, so it might not be the best human versus academic example there but it i that's the first
0: thinking on your feet
1: yes thinking on on my feet and i guess thinking about how the students would just simply feel in the classroom rather than what they get out of the of the lesson it became a bigger thing at that moment
0: how many students raised their hand and came up to help you
1: um there were a lot who seemed to know the answer but i specifically said tech helpers so those specific 2 3 students came up
0: a tech helper is an assigned role in a classroom um,
1: not not in every class but I, I i believe most classrooms do have a tech helper well, assigned or the class has an unofficial tech helper kid who knows all their st- things
0: the students who's really good with yes kit. okay and so okay so you're up in front of the students you got your advisor there you've got your mentor teacher right this is your assessment you are supposed to be using this tool that you you really have no experience using because your experience because the they're not out in the hallway. Exactly, and you then just made. I mean, do you remember how long that entire thought process took? It or was felt it, long. It felt like
1: <laughs> it felt very long. Um, but I, as soon as I saw those students just looking so confused, bored, all those emotions that I didn't want happening in my class. I thought it, one, I had to solve this problem instantly, get back to whatever I was teaching. Two, I I just wanted to make the class about the students more than my, oh, woe is me, this tech problem thing. And I looked back, I remembered how many of these students knew a lot about technology they helped me in the past, too. So I thought it was a moment to have them feel like they have more authority in an appropriate way. They have a role in the class. They are a part of the lesson.
0: They also got to see a teacher saying, hey, you know, I don't know how to use this. Can somebody help mm-hmm. me? Which seems like really good modeling really good behavior. But my initial reaction is, because I know that you've you've basically been raised on Apple computers, right? And here's this totally non-Apple interface. Mm -hmm. And I know that when I have to do things that are different from the usual way that Apple interfaces work, it can be pretty difficult. So that's really good. So you mentioned that you had to solve this problem. So that goes back to something that I, I tell my students, which is that, you know, teaching is basically just con- constant problem solving, mm. right? How do I do this? This isn't working. How do I get this to work? This student isn't understanding something. How do I rephrase it? How do I reset it? So that's really kind of an interesting thing. Um, did you get any feedback from your advisor or your mentor about doing that? Did they say oh, anything to they you about loved that? It. Really, what they say?
1: They said it was a great move of me to make that. To one, it solved the problem, and two, it yes, yes. exactly. <laughs> um, the s- students seemed very. One had fun helping me. They seemed they they seemed a bit. Just bored from seeing me struggle, but they immediately shot shot up their hands and just came up to help me. It gave them a chance to participate in a class, in the less in a lesson in a way they usually don't get to. And I think, especially in a classroom where a lot of the students are fidgety and they need some movement, I yeah, I it just ended up working very well.
0: Yeah, it's it's a nice move because when I have observed students in their student teaching, there is this almost like they can see something's not working. I Or at least I definitely can see something's not working. And I'm pretty sure they can see something's not working. And they will not vary from the lesson plan. Right? It's just, no, I have to do this. This has to be done. I have to be able to use this technology. And I don't know how many of them uh, would have done that, but also I just don't know whether Japanese classrooms are set up this way. Now, what this is elementary yes. school, right? So, what what grade are you basically teaching at this point? What what grade classroom? Uh, this, is this
1: classroom was a grade five class.
0: So, at grade five, you've got your tech helpers. Yes, seems like a very very different approach. I don't know because I've never seen that or heard about that in a Japanese elementary school. And also, of course, the amount of tech. I was go going ahead.
1: to point that out, the amount of tech.
0: Okay, go for it. Please go um,
1: ahead. There's not much to add on that, just the fact of the amount of technology in a Japanese pu- public Japanese elementary school versus a public elementary school in Montreal is very different in the first place. But I guess it's the amount of Trust the teacher puts in the student in their ability to know their technology and their ability to be able to help out not only the teachers because usually I believe tech helpers are also there to help out with help out the help their peers in how they use some devices.
0: So that's a an example of what I would call real collaborative yep. learning. Are there other examples where there's collaborative learning going on in the classroom that you observed? And I still want to come back to the assessment kind of if anything other fun things happened, but did you observe uh students helping each other or were there expectations that students would work together and help each other to learn?
1: Um there sure was a a lot of collaboration going on. Um Sadly I wasn't in classrooms for that long, so I can't really say much uh, about how classes were set up in most cases, but um I always thought um this was in a science class. I saw I saw one time when I just had my free Free time, I walked into a science class to see what was going on there. And the teacher would pair students, pair up students to work on a small lab project, some small experiments. And I always saw lab buddies to be a a secondary school thing, you know, you see in TV shows, you know, the characters like getting paired up with like the worst. Possible person for their lab projects, but from elementary school, they are like being paired, pushed to work with each other on a challenging task, and I thought that was very nice. I'm not sure if that happens in Japanese schools too, but it was very delightful to see.
0: Okay. All right. So your assessment goes reasonably well after that. Mm. You're your, your teaching where you're teaching in front of the classroom. You had your your lesson plan. You had your goals and objectives set.
1: Yeah, um, going back to what you said about your student teachers often feeling pressure to stick to their plan plans. Yeah, I think I'm actually one of the, those types of student teacher as well because I really feel I I'm not confident in my ability to improvise. Um, be to make the best most make the most appropriate decision on the spot so I feel very comfortable sticking to the plan which makes me more confident pressure or pressuring myself to stick to the plan really as I realized as I was teaching does not always turn out the best because I could see things not going well that but I didn't know what better to do than to stick to the plan because I wasn't sure if I can make a good alternative. If I I deviate now how would I continue deviating? Um will I be able to stick the landing? I will I be able to be able to finish in time? What kind of mess will this end up to. All this fear, anxiety would just accumulate. So I would, while I was thinking about this, if whether I should to deviate or not, I would, had to, I had to force myself to stick to the plan, which felt very, which didn't feel good because I felt like I was being those kinds of people who just, isn't just so unflexible, and I felt like I didn't care enough for the students, in a sense, because I felt like a good teacher, a caring teacher, would consider ta- consider the student's experience, like, to be the most important thing and they would not be afraid to change their plans and to just take the risk and try what's whatever would be the best for the students. And I felt like I wasn't able to do that.
0: Well, I think that that's uh, one of the differences between novice and experienced teachers, right? Is uh, the ability to go, okay, this isn't working and I have enough experience of being in this situation that I can adapt and I'll be able. And, you know, also, by the way, it, it reminded me of how difficult it used to be, as you say, um, what, what was it? Um, the landing? Uh, what did you call stick
1: it? The yeah, stick
0: the landing? Yeah, the stick the landing in terms of getting the class to finish on time. Mm-hmm. I remember that used to be really, really difficult when I started out. But when you were talking about that, and you were talking about, you know, the importance of caring about the students at the, you know, and how that they're important. And that's, I think, a really good example of just how many things are going through a teacher's brain <laughs> at at like one time, you know. And it's just kind of like overwhelming in the sense that you've got all these emotions going and all these thoughts going and you're trying to, you know, juggle so many different things at once. And then I was just thinking about, you know, because – you know this is my last year of teaching basically uh-huh. and you know we've talked about this and that i think i've become rather inflexible is that in that if something isn't working i you know i'll i'll maybe try to do something differently but i also will call my students out
1: uh-huh.
0: and it's a different age group i mean i'm talking Definitely. about university students for elementary school students Although sometimes I wonder when it comes to, like, homework assignments and things, it can be pretty funny. Um, But, you know, that example of just a simple thing of, like, what should I do now? And I think you really described, like, just all the different things that would go on and trying to come up with a decision. So you're doing this, you're thinking about all these things and it's like, okay, who's the the tech helper here? And it's kind of an elegant solution, I think. Mm -hmm. Okay.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You said you were becoming, you feel you are becoming less flexible as you teach.
0: Yeah, I think so. Uh,
1: What do you mean by that? Like, I felt like you touched upon it, but like, yes. Sounded really interesting.
0: I, well, I don't want to make ah. this about me, mm. but right. But since you asked, I think that you know students change. You know, you can talk about different generations of mm-hmm. students, and um, people who have been in Japan and teaching for a long time will remember that there was like the post bubble group of students. And also that that was a different kind of personality and different generations bring different things into the classroom. And I used to try to really adopt or adapt to the classroom, you know, personality wise and also trying to do different techniques or try to do things. But I think that recently when something hasn't been working, I've actually kind of said to the students, well, how much, you know, what kind of effort are you putting in? Because sometimes there's a feeling that the attitude has become, if it's not fun, then I'm not going to do it. Uh-huh. And that for the student to be engaged, and that there's a problem with that. I mean, there's part of it is that, yes, it's nice when the classroom lesson is engaging. But sometimes there's stuff that they need to learn that's just, like, not really exciting and, like, When I'm teaching them, like, for example, about vocabulary coverage, you know, they need to know they have to take a vocabulary levels check. Then I have to explain vocabulary frequency and I have to explain, you know, that then you have to compare how much, what your vocabulary size is to the vocabulary level of the text you're reading. And then I have to show them how to use the website to do that. And it's not very exciting sometimes, but it's an important thing. For them to learn and I just think that you know I, I feel like I've kind of grown into that like grumpy old retiring teacher uh-huh. you know um, kind of something along those lines but there I don't know I mean do you feel like there's like a focus that everything has to be enjoyable or fun or
1: Yeah, f- yeah especially in elementary school people really want to make sure things are fun for the kids and I know a a lot of my peers when we introduce ourselves like in classes they're they're like I want to be a teacher who makes learning fun. I want like my students to feel like learning isn't learning which I totally respect but at the same time I'm like elementary elementary school or schooling or education in general is also being able to do things that you might not like. I will try my, like, my, my mentality personally is I'll try my best to make school learning fun for you. And it's up to you how much you enjoy it. But regard, your challenge would be to regard would be regardless your of your enjoyment. I want you to try your best. It might be tough. It, you might not. You might not find the content enjoyable. I know people who hate math, hate science, hate writing or reading, but. I'll try my best to make it fun for you. So I want you to, you to try your best to do your best. And I feel like it's just not fair for it to be all the teacher's responsibility.
0: Uh, that's that's a, an interesting thing because that's something I've told my students. I had an incident just um, last week or I I looked at my students and I said, you know, if this class is not that interesting, I take responsibility and I'm going to take 50% of the responsibility. But what are you bringing to the classroom? And we could talk about that. That's a whole podcast by itself. But what I'm curious is I I read things. Um, For example, um, Jonathan Haight, who wrote the, was co-author of a book on the coddling of the American mind, and that there's this way that we're teaching young students now, young learners, that they don't actually learn how to get through things maybe that are not so interesting to them. And I know that the counter argument to that is that most of learning is not interesting and fun and students are learning to do that. But there's something to be said for young people, young learners learning that, yeah, you know, some things just have to be done, that it's not fun and just get with it. And I know that there's a thousand problems with that attitude, but I think there's an overemphasis on, Things have to be fun. The classroom has to be fun, and I think fun is different from engaging. Uh-huh. And this once came up the, the, the difference between motivating students and inspiring students, mm-hmm. because I, I you know, I, I, any of the listeners on the podcast know that I'm one of those people who just thinks that asking teachers to motivate students is just, no, that's not right. You know, that students, you know, have responsibility as well. And I feel to some degree, again, grumpy old retiring guy, that we've, at least at the university level, is to say, what is your responsibility as a learner? And especially given the Japanese attitude that for a long time that college was four years of basically club med, you know, playing around after all your hard work and trying to explain to students that that model doesn't work anymore. That model doesn't work, and especially given all the changes that are going on in the world. So, Okay. So did you have, like, an entire semester of actual classroom teaching yet, where you were the sole teacher? Or working with another teacher and doing a lot of the instruction?
1: Basically, I guess that was my third student teaching, I just, it's hard for me to judge as I didn't take on a classroom teacher role. I barely had the opportunity to do so, so I don't know how my time working quite independently as a resource room teacher translates to the time spent doing, taking on a classroom teacher role. But, yeah, I basically had 15 straight weeks of teaching.
0: Okay. Yeah, real teaching, actually, I would say. Actually,
1: yes. There was barely any time for me to shadow observe. It was straight into teaching.
0: So that means you're in your senior year, and your final semester is like the big teaching. Practical, right? Student teaching. I would
1: say... Yes, because it may be shorter, but I almost have to go in immediately in, into a classroom taking on, basically taking over the classroom. And it it's a very condensed, intensive thing ba- based on what I heard from students who have completed theirs.
0: But your peers, your colleagues will have already have had one semester of actual teaching or much more teaching experience as a teacher standing in front of a classroom than you will Mm -hmm. have. Definitely. So, so my question is, do you think that you got lucky or unlucky? You're very lucky or very unlucky. (laughs) Uh, That's Ratatouille. I love that. uh, Yes. But so either you were right. Either you were very, you were very lucky or very unlucky. What do you think? Um,
1: Let's start with the bad side of things, the very unlucky side. Um, Yes, I actually feel that I'm very not prepared for my final stash. I have barely any experience being a classroom teacher. I'm honestly very scared that I'm screwed. But on the other hand, um, I feel like my 15 weeks as a resource room teacher is very valuable and that in the long term would benefit me more. Um, and also the fact that I was able to work with these very special children um, in in a very small group taught me a lot. They taught, they, I was supposed to teach them, but I feel like they taught me so much more. And that, I feel like that experience isn't something that I can get all the time, or, and, or I don't think most student teachers in my program won't get that. So I guess in that sense, I'm very lucky. Also, I was, I will repeat myself as many times, as I would, but I was placed with an amazing teacher who helped me through a lot. And I feel like that itself made this placement worth it.
0: Well, that just goes back to the power of an incredible teacher. Exactly. Even, and not just at their level of teaching to elementary school students, but as your mentor teacher. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. See, I remember when you had you found out you had that placement. I thought you were really lucky, Mm -hmm. and I think you you didn't feel the same way, if I remember correctly. But you know, for me, I thought this is really special. This is such an unusual experience. I don't know of anyone who got to do their student teaching as being as a resource teacher because I feel like you got the bird's eye view at one on one Uh level. And then you had time working one-to-one with students, which was to really understand and see close up how the learning process was actually how it works. Mm-hmm. Rather, because sometimes when you're in front of a classroom and you're teaching, it's only, you know, you're walking around the room and you're getting very limited amounts of time to actually be able to observe and see whether, you know, what's happening with students, how they're reacting to the material, responding to the material, for example. mm mm-hmm. And so I think you got really really lucky. You got really lucky that way.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> yeah. So nervous and scared. Yes. And
1: I because I feel like I barely know how to manage a classroom. I do not know what to do when I'm thrown into a classroom of filled with 8-year-olds and suddenly told you are their teacher f- from today. Go teach.
0: Okay. So are you actually going to, like, from day one, be teaching well, that class? Probably,
1: realistically, day one, day two will mostly be observation, familiarizing myself. But it will be pretty quick to for me to just take over, I suppose.
0: You're also, um, from next week starting a little bit of a teaching gig back at your old school. Uh,
1: yes, um, I'm going to teach a visual arts course for um, summers, a, a summer program in my in a school that I used to attend. Um, this is a program f- from kindergarten to... This is an
0: international school. Yes. We just, we just want to remind mm-hmm. anybody who may have missed that. It's yes, okay. an
1: international school summer program, kindergarten to grade six. And I ha- have the privilege to teach a visual arts program for them.
0: Because that's really your love. Ah, yes. You really love visual mm-hmm. arts. And so in a certain way, this is actually going to be the first time you're in charge of the whole classroom. And there's no um mentor teacher right
1: yeah I mean, yeah no, yeah, no, Darren.
0: yeah, you're the teacher exactly i'm you're I'm the still, classroom instructor, the classroom I, I, practitioner. I
1: still don't feel like that's a true uh, that's reality because one, I've never experienced it two it like that's like sounds like a dream to be able to be in charge of a visual arts class, so mm. it feels very unreal,
0: okay. And what are you planning to do?
1: Um, so um, this goes back to a bit of personal things, but as an art student, I very much love and excel at drawing and painting. But when it comes to sculpting or any anything 3D, I'm, I do not have the passion. I do not have the skills. I do not have the knowledge. What the, how I would like to say is, once the third dimension kicks in, I'm no good.
0: Sounds like some Twilight Zone Ooh. episode.
1: Okay, but anyways, going back to my summer school thing, so I um, I have planned a for, uh, a series of lessons that focus on 2D artworks, and my focus would or my theme would be to create art using our eyes and our brain. So I. People tend to focus a, a lot on pure skills, but um, as someone who really enjoys art, I like to focus on how art is, the process of how people create art, what makes uh, let's say a drawing. Good. What makes a painting so interesting? What is involved in there? How do? How can we use shapes, lines, color, all these elements of art, to create something cool? And I, I really want to help these kids start thinking about that. May they may not just immediately go into analyze. Classical paintings, but to start thinking, okay, um, I have, I want to draw this thing. How can I make it interesting? How can I make it my art? And that's what I hope to inspire in students to think like an artist.
0: And this is supposed to be fun for the students because it's summer school, right?
1: Yes, that's a challenging part.
0: Well, it should be interesting. Okay, and we're getting at the you know end of the podcast, getting close to an hour here. Um, what do you think? I'm kind of shifting gears. What do you think are some of the changes in your thinking since you started the elementary education program? Has there been any shifts in your thinking where you went in at the beginning of the program and thought one thing, and now you think very differently?
1: I'm not sure honestly um my transition from high school to university during covid i it was such a weird time too
0: well, that was the real first year of covid, yes. so you were on learning you were here for that year
1: yes, um my all my final high school things got cancelled because of the pandemic. that's when all the what do you call it, all these, like, everything shut down. So I barely had a proper transition from high school to university. I was, I had no idea what was going on. I just ended up being, suddenly, I felt like I just got teleported into a, into a university program without properly finishing high school. And so
0: and if, and properly starting the university true, program as well. Um,
1: yeah, going back, this isn't about the pen- pandemic times, but with all that going on, I really I don't think I was I had a proper mindset going into teaching. I just felt like okay, I'm here, I'm going to do whatever I'm supposed to be doing. And I I really feel like I was just going with the flow back then. Sure, I am still following the program. I'm, I'm a good kid. I do that. But um I feel like I'm developing my own agency as a teacher, in a sense. I have to be motivated in order to do all this teaching. I have to... Be active. I can't just be passive and do be doing the minimal work. I really have to be passionate about it. Be planning things, actively engage students, and I feel like I'm definitely um, developing that part of myself more, more and more as I continue doing this thing called teaching.
0: Yes, this thing called teaching. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. Okay, yeah, that might be a good place to wrap up. Sophie, mm-hmm. um, is there anything else you want to add, or anything else you want to say? Um,
1: not really, but just thank you for letting me talk here. It's been really fun.
0: Yeah, it's it's really it's interesting for me because. This kind of sets up for you and I to talk in a little bit more formal situation rather than the usual, you know, because everything is is so informal when we chat. It feels
1: very weird talking to your own father like this.
0: Okay, well we'll just leave that at that (laughs) (laughs) and not like move things any further. So thank you very much, Sophie. So this is Charles Wiz and Sophie Wiz. And we're two teachers who are talking. And like to say thank you to the audience. And probably Tony will be back and I'll be back, but we might be interviewing some other teachers as well, younger teachers, to get some new perspectives. Okay, Sophie, so thank you very much and have a good evening.
1: Thank you. Bye. Bye bye.